Good morning and happy Sabbath. We are so glad that you have chosen to join us this morning, like every Sabbath morning. If this is your first time here, we just want to say welcome and we hope that this is a blessing for you. We have been studying the book of Psalms together, and today I'm so excited for us to lead through or dive through the discussion of how God arises and stands up for those who are oppressed, those who are in need, and those who are poor. But before we dive into the passage, let's offer a word of prayer to our God. Our good and gracious God, we invite you into this space to guide us, to help us to understand, help us to learn. These words that you inspired so many years before, let these words also be a transforming element in our lives today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today I am joined by Jesse, one of our team members who... Um, primarily serves in the Anthem community, but also helps um, us guide, guide that community towards that vision of discipleship, growing disciples in our church. So Jesse, so glad to have you here today. How are you doing? Glad to be here. Good. Good, good. Yeah, we were just talking about pets a little bit off screen before, and you have two dogs? Yeah, two. Two yeah. dogs. And and uh, how, how has that journey been with your pets? And Oh, it's funny. Uh, we had a corgi first, and then we got uh, a dog, another dog who's more full-size to be uh, the corgi's play partner. And the corgi played very rough when yeah. the other dog was a puppy. And then that dog grew and grew and grew. And now the corgi's like, what in the world? I don't really want to be... <laughs> attacked all the time by a much bigger dog so that's that's been the journey there. <laughs> oh, that's that's hard and then somewhere in there you start having kids too yeah no, I, no we have two so yeah two and two wow wow that's that's a, that's a lot it's a busy full household yeah it is yeah and yeah I, when, when we had the pets it was like uh it felt like a lot and then we had the kids and like why did we have the pets <laughs> it's already too much of the kids so <laughs> so overwhelming yeah. yeah well we're glad you're here today uh, we've had just went through a uh, incredible rainstorm this past um, yeah. week here in Southern California. If you are not from Southern California, there was this atmospheric river, yeah. is that what they called yeah. it? And just yeah. um, historic rainfall yeah. here. And um, where you guys are living? I'm, oh, I'm from Washington State, so that was like, that was normal. Right? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is like a normal month. Um <laughs> But yeah, where we were living, we didn't have any issues or yeah. anything like that. Just a lot of rain. So. Yeah, I know in certain parts of Southern California, there was mudslides and, yeah. and flooding and stuff like that. But here in Loma Linda area, it hasn't been too bad. No, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. yeah. So we're, we're, we've been studying through the book of Psalms throughout this quarter. And today we're going to be in Psalm, a, a number of different Psalms, but they seem to have this common theme yeah. about God as being... God as being a warrior, God as being this, um, this powerful being who stands up for those who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to ask you about that imagery. Um, when you think of God, is, is that the image that you have in your mind of God as a warrior, as God as a, you know, a one who enacts vengeance on people? Like, how does that connect with your image of who God is? I mean, it didn't used to be. That, that used to be a very foreign concept for me. Mm. Um, growing up in the church, you know, you read your Bible and there's a lot of that sort of imagery. Yeah. And it it's like, what? I don't, I don't relate to this at all. Yeah. The, the stuff that you tend to relate to, at least that I did, was more of the like emotionally um, present sort of God and yeah. uh, God of love, a God of compassion, those types of things. Yeah. I think as I've gotten older, 
the idea of a God who fights on behalf of of people, but especially those who don't have others to fight for them, mm. that's become more and more compelling, I think, both for myself, but especially for those who just don't have anyone to advocate for them. And you see that in the world, and then you think mm. of a God that would raise their their cries above all the others yeah. to a large degree. It's like, wow, that's a God that that is just very opposite to how we would view power mm-hmm. in this world. Because a lot of the power structures in our world mm. always cater. And I think there's just something about it that makes sense. They, they cater to the people who also have power. Yeah. And so those who don't have power, there's not much to gain from them. Yeah. And so a God that has everything does not seek to gain more, but instead gives his his voice to those who don't have a voice. Like that's just a very upside down yeah. concept. So I think that that has become a lot more um attractive to me and then a god who would fight i think that has been something that over the last few years i've become more aware of aware of it being more attractive to me yeah um in certain contexts so that's kind of i guess my my feeling about that i don't know i don't know if yours has been your journey has been the same or not yeah well first of all i just want to i love that what you said that's fascinating that god is a powerful God, but he uses his power for those who are powerless. Yeah. Whereas a lot of times people who are powerful in our world often use their power and their influence to help either themselves or yeah. other people who are powerful who can help yeah. them later on, yeah. right? Like there's nothing to gain. It feels like there's nothing to gain for helping those who are powerless. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think in our current climate, there is a little bit of that mm. where you can gain status mm. if you focus on certain social issues, yeah. which is an interesting thing yeah. to add to the equation because now it isn't just altruistic. It isn't just purely <laughs> out of love all the time. Sometimes it's out of, I will gain status and, mm. and acceptance and notoriety from a certain crowd if I voice my support of the downtrodden or whatever. Yeah. So that's been an interesting thing, but God seems to stand up for it when it, when there isn't, there is no benefit to him. Technically there is no, there is no, uh, what's the right word. There's no, that thing to be gained, I guess is, is really yeah. what it is, which is, which is really crazy to think of that. Cause almost all the other gods in, in, in more pagan uh, uh, stories or literature are gods that tend to be a lot more, what can I gain from these mm. ants that like, you know, humans, but they're, they're kind of viewed as ants. And that's oversimplification, I think, of all the stories, but there's a lot more of that. And then in the Bible, there's a God who humanizes everybody and, and draws up those who are human and made in his image, but not being treated well by others. Like that's, it's, again, it's just so upside yeah. down. I mean, it's really crazy. It really is. Yeah. Like God, God, took care of those in need before it was cool to do so. Yeah. 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 And in our society, there is, you sometimes wonder, are, are people doing this because they want the attention, yeah. they want the notoriety, or are they doing this because they really genuinely care for yeah. others? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really weird spot to be in because yeah. there, there is, there has been, you know, I think back to 2020 and a lot of these social justice issues that got brought mm-hmm. up. And I think of, the the necess the deep necessity of a lot of that, and then also the really interesting sort of odd stuff that also got added to it. Yeah. And so you know when you have people who are fighting on behalf of the downtrodden, and but 
but going so far as to as to almost ignore them it's almost mm. becomes a personal crusade rather than actually being for wow now, that wasn't everybody but yeah there was a certain segment and i just think of that as like god just has at least from what i see he just has this unending desire for justice it's like that whole idea of the, let justice roll down yeah just justice to happen mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter of whether it benefits of who it benefits specifically um I guess what I mean by that is it doesn't matter if it benefits uh, those who God has favored Mm -hmm. or if it benefits those he doesn't. I mean, you go back to Joshua and God shows up, Joshua's there and God says, uh, and Joshua's like, who are you? Um, Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Mm -hmm. And the the angel of the Lord or God in that moment just says, no, (laughs) but as command, it's like God has a different agenda than us. Yeah. And his agenda yeah. is wow. is completely separate from our agendas, which is so interesting. Yeah, and also very challenging. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't draw the lines the way that we draw the lines, yeah. and and yeah. say this is us versus them. Yeah. His agenda is more. You are all actually my people, yeah. and really the people I will speak up mo- most for are those who can't speak up for themselves. Yeah. 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 Super interesting. Yeah. So let's get into this passage. It's Psalm 18 is the first one we wanted to take a look at. And I, of all the Psalms, because there were a number of different Psalms in this lesson, the, the, the reason why this was so compelling for me is there was, there's such unique imagery here, imagery that I don't necessarily, like you asked the question, um, how does this align with my vision of God? It, it doesn't necessarily align with my vision of who God is. And so I, I, I actually like those kind of instances that irk yeah. me and challenge me to yeah. expand my view of who God is, because I may be trying to pigeonhole God a little bit. Sure. And this is definitely one of those passages. So let's take a look. It's um, Psalm chapter 18, uh, verses 3 through 18. I don't know. Jesse, would you read part of it for us? Sure. Like yeah. 3 through 10? Yeah. I called to the Lord who was worthy of praise, and I was delivered from my enemies. The waves of death engulfed me. The currents of chaos overwhelmed me. The ropes of Sheol tightened around me. The snares of death trapped me. And in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried out to my God. From his heavenly temple, he heard my voice. He listened to my cry for help. The earth heaved and it shook. The roots of the mountains trembled. They heaved because he was angry. Smoke ascended from his nose, fire devoured as it came from his mouth. He hurled, that he hurled down fiery coals. He made the sky sink as he descended. A thick cloud was under his feet. He mounted a winged angel and flew. He glided on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of your nostrils, of the uh, blast of the breath from your nostrils, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. Wow. Okay. So when when we read through this, what stands out to you about this passage? What 
what challenges you? What um, what questions do you have? What inspires you? Yeah. Like what stands out to you in this passage? I think the, the parts that get me, because this is poetry. Yeah. And so it's pulling out these metaphors and word pictures that that I think they do something emotionally internally yeah. that you can kind of, it, it isn't just like he's making an argument. He's just like, this is some imagery that I'm bringing out. And the part that got me was um, smoke ascended from his nose, fire devoured as it came <laughs> from his mouth. He hurled down fiery coals. He made the sky sink as he descended. Yeah. And a thick cloud was under his feet. And then you have like this whole imagery of like these clouds going in front of him. Yeah. And then like literally the sea just gets like, like, it, it, I guess if you imagine blowing on on a really uh, shallow piece of water and it's, it kind of separates, but yeah. you imagine that with the sea, yeah. And so you could see the the bottom of it, and and then and then uh, David being taken out of the the raging waters. Mm-hmm. And I guess all of that just gets me. Like, there's this this emotional um, connection to that that I think is like both terrified mm-hmm. and also. The, the whole point of God doing that in this poem is to take David out of the chaotic waters. Yeah. Which at least to me kind of goes back to flood imagery, goes back to like Genesis 1-1 or 1-2, where it's like the, the earth is formless and void. Just water covers mm-hmm. the surface of the earth. And then and then um, God creates out of that. And then you get the flood where everything crashes back. It's like the uncreation mm-hmm. of the waters covering the earth again. Yeah. And it's almost like David feels like he's in the chaos and the the... It feels like the earth is falling apart. My life is falling apart. Everything yeah. is coming. And God does all of this in his glory to then come and pull me out of, of that. That's yeah. pretty wild. Like, that's, that's pretty crazy wild. imagery. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you make a great point that, and we talked about this a little bit last week as well, um, Miguel and I, that we the first thing that we have to keep in mind as we read the Psalms is that it is poetry, yeah. right? So it's not really meant to be taken literally. It's yeah. not like God actually literally did these things for yeah. David. Yeah. Um, but that poet, because it's poetry, I think you made a great point. The idea is those images are supposed to evoke an emotion, yeah, exactly. right? That's that's really what's behind a poetry. Yes, there's some information that's being passed, but mostly it's it's supposed to be emotive. Like songs are emotive. Yeah. Poetry is emotive. And um, you said that as you picture this, when we picture this in our mind's eye with like the thunder and lightning and hail and yeah. God coming and rescue, yeah. like... I, even the distress, the cords yeah. of death entangled me, right? <laughs> the cords of grave coiled around. I, I almost imagine almost like a snake, yeah. like wrapping around yeah. and dragging him down. And yeah. he's like desperate. Yeah. That like my, one of my, my greatest fears is to be buried alive. Oh yeah. hundred yeah. <laughs> <laughs> percent. Like that thought of just, I mean, it's a lack of control. It's like desperation, yeah. just slowly suffocating yeah. to death. And I imagine, I can't even imagine the feeling of being wrapped around and slowly being dragged yeah. under. Yeah. Oh, that would be terrifying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, that, that emotion you said that evoked terror. Yeah. Right. Well, um, it's even like the, the idea of Sheol is the underworld. Yeah. And, uh, if, if it's my understanding, it's correct that a lot of that is is the the the, the depths of the sea were a bit terrifying yeah. because you couldn't see them. Like, yeah. and even now that we can see them with like submersibles and stuff, it's still terrifying. <laughs> it's still terrifying. And so Sheol kind of exists. So it, it, going back to that chaotic chaotic waters, like it's like he's being wrapped and then pulled down into the waters. And either David's being very dramatic, or he's this is like a, just his this is what he's experiencing emotionally mm-hmm. the distress like like you're bringing yeah. out. And then all the imagery of God showing up is like, that's deliverance. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what sure. imagery does that, what, what emotion does that imagery? Like yeah. you're, you're being desperate, you're desperate, you're terrified, you have no control. And then God shows up with, yeah. you know, smoke rose rising from his nostrils, consuming fire coming from his mouth, burning yeah. coals blazing out of it. Like wh what imagery is that supposed to evoke or what emotion is that supposed to evoke? I mean, at least for me, what it feels like is the overwhelming power of God yeah. on display. And I don't mean that like in a sterile way. I mean, there's a genuine terror that comes from that because I am a finite human. And this is just David's imagery of how it feels, how he feels almost like in the chaos of his life, God is showing up. Yeah. But it's not like he's actually experiencing these images, but it, it's the closest thing he can get to internal, like to explain yeah. what's happening internally or what's happening in his life around him. And if that's the case, then David is sitting there saying, God is this powerful. Yeah. And that terror is both, I think a good terror because it puts us in our rightful place. We're not God. We're not who we're not. We're not what the Genesis three fall narrative tells us that we thought we could be like, yeah. we're not God. And so there, that terror almost is like, Okay, rightfully so. I don't have any of that capability that, that that David is laying out here. But there's also a comfort in it because that imagery of this terrifyingly powerful God, like literally it's like the sky just like <laughs> bows underneath him. Yeah. Um, and then he comes down, the sea moves, and, and then all of that power directed at the rescue of yeah. of David. That's that's crazy. Yeah. And so, but if we're going to get into literally the imagery, the, the, the more scary imagery, I guess I would call it, mm. that is either just terrifying because we don't want to admit that God is that much greater than us, mm -hmm. or it's a little bit of that, rightfully so. And it could be this deep acceptance that the God who is that powerful is not using that power to come destroy me, but yeah. to rescue, that's his first, at least his first heart is yeah. to rescue me. And we can talk about when we are the people who are doing injustice, there's a rightful fear that comes <laughs> yes. because God is not about the injustice that we're doing. He's yeah. trying to stop that. So there's, there's, there's dichotomy there, but when you are yeah. the, the focus of rescue, you want a God that, that, that is this powerful showing yeah. up. You don't want a God is like, put his arms around you like, Hey, I'm really sorry, but sorry, I can't do anything about it. It's like, you don't really want that. You want a God who can act and do something. And so that's kind of the imagery. That's what the imagery says to me. Yeah. That's so powerful. I love the dichotomy that you're setting up that, that God just in the imagery itself is terrifying, yeah. right? It's yeah. rightly terrifying, but you kind of want a terrifying God mm -hmm when he has your back, right? Yeah, when he's the one that you. You, you want your linebacker <laughs> showing up, not not your like rocket scientist <laughs> in certain situations. You know, yeah. it's like you yeah. need both, but you, you, you want the bigger guy when there's something terrifying facing you. And so, you know, you could, if you were to describe, you could describe your linebacker looking yeah. uncle in a way that would come across as very terrifying. Yeah. But what it means for you is safety, yeah. which is pretty powerful. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, on behalf of all rocket science scientists <laughs> out there, I take a little bit of offense that that um, rocket scientists can't be terrifying like a linebacker. You know, they're terrifying in different contexts. So. 
<laughs> yeah, it actually reminds me of the story that um, John Ortberg tells of how he was walking down like some beach town uh, one day with his friends. And then he saw like a bar brawl happen right in front of him, like people like coming out, like rolling out and like a gang of guys beating up on one yeah. guy. And he felt the need to stand up and like speak up and stop it, yeah. right? Like defend this one guy that's just being ganged yeah. up on. But, you know, he's he's a pastor. He's not particularly skilled yeah. at fighting, but, yeah. he you know, he speaks up anyway. Yeah. And then these guys like advance at him and yeah. then they all of a sudden they stop, they get scared. Yeah. And he's like, oh, what's going on? Like, why why, why are they scared of me? Yeah. And then he looks back and he sees his like six foot six, 250 pound <laughs> um, linebacker of yeah. a friend yeah. um, um, that he says that they call Mongo, but not never to his, his face, <laughs> <laughs> like standing there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, that's right. He's with me. And yeah, th yeah. in those moments, you need yeah. that, right? Yeah. Like you want that. You yeah. want that kind of God. You want that kind of backup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think like the the God that a lot of us have come to know um, in, in what is a really healthy, I think, pursuit of, of knowing God mm -hmm. is a God that is deeply emotionally good and present. But to some degree, that can be that can be impotence. Yeah, it can be. Wow. Oh, thanks so much for the like, I love you so much. Thanks so much for for. Uh, for, for being part of my life. And it's like, that's good. You need that kind of father, but you yeah. also need a father who, when someone is bullying you, when something is going wrong, will show up and act on your behalf in ways that yeah. aren't always like whitewashed and nice. Yeah. You know, you, sometimes you need a God to put it, a father to put a stop to something that's negative. And when you think of what could really be happening around people and the deep injustice that can happen in this world, like if someone is abusing, let's say it, there's a wife who's being abused, um, we, we all kind of, we want the movie scene yeah. where like a friend of her, like her, her wife's, her wife's husband or her, her friend's wife's friend's husband shows up and he's this big dude and comes in and is, and like makes the abusive husband cower. Yeah. You want that mm. because there's something that feels just about it. Yeah. And so we can argue about exactly how God does that, but that's the imagery that David seems to be deeply deeply intimate with yeah he's not afraid of a god who's going to show up like that in fact he he calls on that god yeah but then he also calls on a god who is forgiving and merciful and compassionate and slow yeah. to anger and all those things so he can see both yeah which is pretty cool yeah that that yeah. those are both parts of who god is yeah yeah and maybe that's part of the answer that, to the question i'm going to ask next but like one of the imageries that that the imagery of God that, that, that the psalm has that challenged me the most was verse 11. And I'm not sure why this stuck out, stuck out to me so mm -hmm. much, but he made darkness his covering, mm -hmm. his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. And I don't know, it's maybe it's just that, that, that mindset that God, the imagery around God is all, usually always light, yeah. right? Yeah. And here it's like darkness. Yeah. That's his covering. And that just, I don't know, that that that, that irked me and that yeah. <laughs> bothered yeah. me a little bit. That yeah. darkness would be what God would come with, yeah. right? Um, and yet, like you said, darkness isn't his only characteristic, yeah. but it does, it does challenge me a lo little bit that that's the yeah. way. And again, this is not God literally coming with darkness, no, but sure. this is yeah. the way that David is describing the coming of God. I think the sense I get from that is that 
he's coming like a storm. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the imagery. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah the, that's on the definitely wings there. of the wind, shrouded in darkness, thick rain clouds, and then from the brightness in front of him, which yeah. is pretty yeah. interesting. Isn't that interesting? That's super. I, yeah, I don't exactly know what what he's calling on there, but it does seem like there's this there's a storm imagery to it yeah. as well as something else from the brightness in front of him and so it that that is also a powerful thing because i think especially if you think with all the modern technology that we have storms mm-hmm. are still terrifying because yeah. we can't really control them yeah i mean like if you think what hurricanes can do you can create dikes and and uh and dams and all sorts of things to protect you know uh, uh, cities from from all of the the power of the storm and and they can still be overcome. Yeah, there's something inherently in us that we're just like that's uncontrollable. And I yeah. think that's maybe some of the imagery is calling on yeah. that is like I can't touch that. Yeah. whatever force that's coming that is coming to to rescue me, I actually can't. I have zero power in it. And so, yeah, yeah that just I as I'm processing through that, that's kind of what comes to mind for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that reminds me of the the story of. Uh... Um, of, a, of the king who was walking on the beach again on the beach with his advisors and the and the the king is trying to get some advice about something and the advisors say oh king you can do anything like you can you can um whatever you decide will be right because you can do anything and yeah. so then the king walks up to the ocean and he stands in the midst of the waves and says stop <laughs> and obviously the waves don't stop yeah. and they're like king what are you doing you're getting wet and yeah. he's like don't tell me that I can do anything yeah. because obviously the waves yeah. don't obey, obey me. Yeah. 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 And yet we serve a God. <laughs> that's, that's where it gets terrifying. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, shoot, I can't do anything about yeah. whatever God chooses to do. Yeah. I don't have power against or for like, I'm just I'm at the mercy of whatever that God's character is. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. Yeah. And so that's right. That's what you were saying. That kind of like yeah. got, gave me chills as I was yeah. thinking of the imagery that David brings out. Yeah. And no wonder the disciples were a little bit afraid of Jesus when Jesus was able to calm the storm. Like, like, who is this guy, right? (laughs) That you can tell the winds and the waves to stop and they obey you, right? That's just, that's amazing. It's incredible. Well, and I think of a lot of the imagery that would have been familiar to people in this world, especially when you think of all the different pantheons of gods that existed. Um, You had storm gods, you had, Mm. you know, you had all of these different types of gods that had different roles. And so I think that's also a little bit of imagery that we might miss out on, not because David is comparing and saying God is like this other God, mm-hmm. but just it's very familiar imagery that that these certain, what we would call natural events, you know, storms or earthquakes or things like that, that's all the act of a God mm. is sort of intuitive to their, yeah. to their worldview. And so when you say, when he brings like the storm imagery out, or when he brings like this almost animalistic smoke mm. ascended from in fire, devoured, all that stuff would have been way more familiar as like expressions of power Yeah. that, that uh, maybe we kind of miss out on because of that. But it is definitely foreign. Like you said, like the, the darkness or these different things, like that's weird. Yeah. But yeah. And this actually, as you were talking, it kind of struck me. I wonder if that is why humans felt the need to, um, ascribe all of these forces to being controlled by gods or being yeah, being that yeah. yeah because we when it's just uncontrolled yeah. and wild and there's no rational yeah. explanation for what happens um it can we feel powerless yeah. 
but ascribing it to a God that we can somehow appease with our yeah. sacrifices or something yeah. gives us some, some measure, measure of control. Of, yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I think is really crazy about a lot of how God is portrayed is that he isn't controllable, mm. but his character is what makes him trustworthy. Yeah. And that's such a that's such a different perspective yeah. to me because a lot of the gods, and again, I'm, I'm, I am oversimplifying. I think if you get deep into the ancient Near East, like culture and stuff or, or like uh, stories about their gods and stuff there's nuance there but a lot of it is sort of a very human way of interacting yes. with each other they just happen to be more powerful yeah. <laughs> but the thing that i think we see here is there's this god we literally cannot control and yet his character is good yeah and so he is both terrifying and and deeply comforting yeah all at the same time and especially when he's on your side yeah. and i don't mean that in a way of like you've appeased him or anything but it just I guess the, almost the way that I would look at it is that God cares about what is true because he made the world. He knows how it works, how it best functions, how we best function in relationships as individuals, as whole communities and all of that stuff. So he's fighting for what is good. And when we al align with his vision for it, then he is absolutely, that is his agenda is for mm -hmm. our flourishing. But then when you get into the, like the, the injustice side, that is where God is is against it, and that's terrifying. But at the same time, you want the God who's going to come in and fight on behalf of those who are being unjustly um, uh, hurt or or, or, or or oppressed, because it is the opposite of yeah. what is good for humanity. And if humans aren't going to do anything about it, then you want a God who's going to step in and do something. And the imagery here is powerful because it means that the God that's stepping in is like, no, guys, stop. <laughs> it's like. If he chooses to step in, if he chooses to 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 do something about it, it will not be controlled by yeah. us. And there's something both terrifying and also deeply comforting about, about that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. that's that's. I love the contrast that you set up there between the ancient Near Eastern gods of who were powerful but just as bad as humans, yeah. um, versus God who is powerful, all powerful, but is better. Yeah. than humans yeah yeah better than we could possibly desire and there's definitely some questionable things that we struggle with of like uh, is, was that god doing it was that humans ascribing him to, to him the, the the responsibility for doing it yeah. we still have, scholars still have questions about that but at least when we look at the whole arc of scripture i definitely see that this god is better than we could possibly imagine yeah and that's good when you don't have any control over that god <laughs> so yeah 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 but with god you know behaving this way at least with david picturing god yeah. to behave this way against his enemies um and in the in the inscription it talks about how um saul was the enemy right the yeah. enemies that were chasing him were was like saul so with him describing god coming out his enemies this way how does that connect with like what jesus says in matthew chapter 5 verse 44 where he says um or 43 and 44, yeah. you have heard it said, um, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father yeah. in heaven. So then how does that work with, with God telling us, well, Jesus telling us, love our enemies. Yeah. And yet in this imagery, mm -hmm. it's like God yeah. raining vengeance down on our enemies. I think like if you, if you think about what's going on in David's life, I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong. And mm. now he has this king who's chasing him around because the king is jealous. Yeah. And when you think, and when you look at, at least contextually for me, I look back at the story of Saul 
And you have to do a lot of sitting with it because it's not immediately clear. Yeah. But as you go through the story, you know, he does all of these things that are him taking control of his kingdom instead of letting God be in control. Mm -hmm. And then finally, when God says, I'm going to take this kingdom away from you, he does, instead of turning around and being like, I've really messed up here. I need to, to, to shift and turn around. He instead goes full bore down the paranoid, yeah. concerned about who's going to take his kingdom away from yeah. him. Like it's the opposite. Yeah. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Yes. And so that's why he's chasing David around because David's this rising star and Saul's concern. Yeah. And so if you if you're in David's shoes, you're like, this is not this is not okay. Like yeah. I haven't done anything. I've been faithful if anything, yeah. overwhelmingly faithful to this king, and yet I'm getting this response. And so I think there's there's definitely the injustice experience mm. that David has of this is not okay. Is someone going to do something about it? Mm. And if God has anointed that king, and if God has now apparently anointed him to be David now to be yeah. king, then God, it's in your hand. You've got to figure this out. And I yeah. think that's a big piece of it too, that David did not mistreat Saul, even when he had him in his hands to be able to do so. Yeah. Like the two moments that's in good. caves where he could have killed him. He doesn't. He, does, he says, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. And then later when people do come to David after Saul has been killed and said, we got him. David has them executed. Because how, how dare you take control over what God would do? Yeah. And that's a really crazy way of looking yeah. at it. So it, it you could say that, you know, I, I can't say for certain where David's heart is, but there is a, a hinting at the fact that David does not hate Saul, mm. but he certainly is not stoked about the, he's not happy about the situation that he's in. Mm -hmm. It feels unjust. It feels unfair. And so it seems like he's calling on the God who is the arbitrator of justice. This is his kingdom. Like literally mm. his kingdom on earth is the Jewish nation at that time. You do something about this. Yeah. And then he's envisioning this God who is powerful beyond measure to act on his behalf. But also he, I don't, I don't think that he was sitting there like, you need to destroy my enemy by like, literally, like, you need to do this all for me. Mm. It's just like, God, this feels unjust. I'm asking you to be God and to yeah. do something here. And I, that's kind of my impression of, of where he's at. Yeah, that. that is so powerful. And I love the dynamic, how you point out the dynamic between um, David and Saul, because even though he's like writing this psalm and praying yeah. this prayer, he, it, by his actions, shows that he does care for Saul yeah. and that he is going out of his way to try to protect Saul, who yeah. is the Lord's anointed, yeah. right? So it does show that David, regardless of what he's praying here, he's living out the principles of love yeah. your enemy. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So he's yeah. actually doing that, um, even though he's praying for God to step in. Yeah. And that's, that's so powerful, too, because like you said, David was a warrior. Mm -hmm. He had many opportunities to take vengeance himself, oh, yeah. to take justice into his own hands. Yeah. And instead, he chooses to pray instead. Yeah. Right. To, and say, God, you make this right. Ask, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Praise and prayer yeah. are the tools that this warrior David uses mm -hmm. when he had at his disposal, like swords and arrows and and yeah. warriors who would fight alongside him to take yeah. the throne for himself. And he he chooses not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I, I think it's moments like that that I think that's the reason that we call David a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. Um there's consistent moments. I mean, you could look at the big failure moments. Yeah. He, he has those. He definitely does. But if you even look at the his responses to those moments, it's I don't think God ever once is uh, uh, 
what's the right word? Enabling his actions. I don't think God is just like, oh, that's fine. I mean, God obviously cares deeply about the injustice that David did. But there's a response that David consistently has mm. that I think is the reason that he's called a man after God's own heart. And I think that is mainly that when things are difficult, yeah. he does not tend to go the route of self-trust. Mm. He goes right back to the God who is the king of his kingdom yeah. and says, I trust you. Whether that's in this, like Saul is literally unjustly oppressing me and I'm going to the God who is my protector. Or even in the aftermath of his, of his sin, uh, I have obviously gotten this wrong and I'm coming back to you and I'm begging for, for certain outcomes, but you're God and I trust you. Yeah. And then even later when his son rebels against him, um, they bring the Ark of the Covenant to go with him. And he's like, no, leave that here. If God brings me back to it, then that's his prerogative, mm. which is crazy. Yeah. He's not claiming God is going with him. He's saying if God is God, he'll bring me back if he so chooses. And yeah. if he doesn't, then that's his will. And you're like, there's something about that that's yeah. pretty crazy. And that, that he he seems to have a healthy balance of a God who both fights against in, injustice, whether that's him, David, yeah. or those who are oppressing him. And then the God who, uh, and that's like the soldier God, the, the, the fighting God. And there's the God who's deeply present personally. That's a pretty healthy yeah. balance of, 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 of those perspectives. And that's why I think it seems like he's writing this from that, from, from that healthy tension. Yeah. Of the two. Yeah, that's part of the reason why David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because yeah. he seems so real, yeah. right? Like oh, yeah. he messes up <laughs> bad, yes. like really bad at yeah. times. And yet he never messes up in that he doesn't return back to God, yeah. right? Like he, even when he messes up, even when he trusts himself more than God, eventually he comes to the place and realizing, no, no, this is not going to work. Yes. I've yeah. got to rely on God. God has, and that becomes his default. When the chips are down, he makes sure that he's going back to God and trusting God. And that's a powerful thing, I think, that this passage points out and that the theology that, of God that we see throughout Scripture seems to point out is that God does take vengeance. I mean, God, yeah. God says, vengeance is mine. He literally says, vengeance is yeah. mine, right? Yeah. But I wonder if what God is saying to us is that you humans are not capable of handling vengeance. Mm -hmm. Like, because of sin, because of our brokenness, because we are not like God, our character is not like his, mm -hmm. we don't do vengeance well. No, we tend not to. Yeah, which is why, you know, when in Deuteronomy it talks about an eye for an eye and tooth, um, yeah. tooth for a tooth, he, what he's saying is, he's saying is, you used to take, you know, if someone took your eye, you took their life, right? He's trying to restrict the vengeance yeah. here. At least just make it proportional. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But what God, I think what God is showing is that he's the only one yeah. capable of doing vengeance well. So trust vengeance to him. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're in those spaces where things are unjust and it seems like the cords of death are... Yeah wrapping around you and pulling you down it's praise and prayer that's the answer it's not power and mm -hmm. and violence yeah. that will get you out because those things will get you out in the short term yeah. but you'll either you live by the sword you die by the sword kind of thing or you will become the very thing that was oppressing you mm. and that's sort of the cycle of humanity which is yeah. why i think that's why god chooses the israelites and is faithful overwhelmingly faithful to them consistently but then calls them out. I mean, the prophets are all just, you have either started worshiping these other gods who are not me, yeah, 
um, or it's you have oppressed the poor and the widow and the and the sojourner among you. Yeah. It's it's those two reasons that they're being called out consistently. Yeah. And you would say, well, wait, you know, if God is on their side, you would expect this God to just, you know, I'm for you no matter what. And and I think the the best analogy that I can come to is this the parental analogy that there's there is a a righteous indignation and anger that comes from a parent when their own child has done something that has harmed others or harmed the family or harmed harmed even that own child themselves. Yeah. You want a parent who will have that that anger at something because if they don't then it's not wrong. Mm. It's fine. Like don't worry about it. I guess like yeah, you bullied that person, but you know, as long as you didn't get caught. Yeah. That we we kind of intuitively know this is not good for the world. It's not good for me or for us or for other people. And so if someone condones that, it, something feels off about that. Yeah. It works for me in the in the short term, but it doesn't work over the long term. There's always negative consequences associated with that. So you want a God who's standing up for what is actually genuinely good. Mm-hmm. And so you want a parent like that. And so th- that's that for me, that's why I've become far more far more okay and like good with that idea that God would be a warrior mm. because there is, or, or, or just angry at, at things that are unjust because there is some part of me that wants a parent who will say what you have done is not okay to me. Yeah. That's never comfortable, but you want that because it actually, it gives you good direction for how to align with what is truly good in the world, as opposed to what you are trying to make good, even though it isn't. But then you also want that same God who, when you were in positions of being oppressed, who will say, it's not okay that mm-hmm. this is happening to you and I'm fighting on your behalf um, in ways that you don't always understand, but I am doing that. And ultimately, if you don't adopt all of the ways that everybody else is oppressing you, I will, I'm, I'm fighting on your behalf. You don't have to pick up all those tools yeah. and fight their way. I'm fighting for you. That's, I want a God like that. Yeah. Even if I don't always want it in the short term, <laughs> when you zoom out, I'm like, I want that God. Yeah. Not the not the God I might create. Because the reality is love is not permissive, right? Yeah. It, it means love doesn't mean that there's no rules. Yeah. Right. Boundaries are healthy. Yeah. Accountability is important. Yeah. Right. And we need a God. We need a, a father, a parent oh, yeah. who will establish boundaries and hold us accountable. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, We've seen what happens when everything is just permissive oh, and it's yeah. not healthy. It's destructive. Yeah. Right. And that, that was like Satan's way. And God is, yeah. he's very clearly shown that that, that way does not work. Right. Yeah. And so we, we want a God, we need a God who will establish those boundaries yeah. and say, this is right. This is wrong. And I will stand for what is right. Yeah. And, yeah. and act like very intentionally on the behalf of people who, who are, are, being oppressed by people yes. who are twisting the fabric of reality to their own benefit. Yeah. And that's really like that, that that's where you look at Saul, who's who he's he's trying to twist what is supposed to be a really good relationship between the king of all things yeah. and his people on this earth. And he's twisting that and saying, This is my thing. I'm going to hold tight to it at all costs. And even if I have to destroy those who have done nothing wrong to me mm. because of you know, but but simply because of my own perceptions about what they're doing, I will I will I will do what I feel is right. Yeah. And David's on the receiving end of that. And I think we, we end up on those in those spaces, whether it's like parents 
uh, parent parental relationships or even like sibling relationships as you get older or um, uh, friends or, or coworkers or bosses or whatever, you, you, you might end up in this space where like, what, what is happening to me feels unjust. Um, and the, the fact that there is a God who says what that person is doing by twisting all of this to their own benefit, it's not good. And mm-hmm. I'm on your side in this. Yeah. But he's also like, don't start doing that yourself to get back at them. Like the whole vengeance is mine. Don't start doing that because as, as soon as you do that, yeah. it's not that I don't love you, but I have the same heart that I have for that person who's doing that to you. I have that same heart for the things that you might do that's like them. And yeah. that's a tough one for us to sit in because yeah. we just want God to be on our side, Yeah, I think. And so, yeah, that, I don't know. That's just kind of, that. that is something that, that has been... When I was younger, I didn't like that idea. Yeah. And now that I get older, I'm like, I don't always love it, but I, I big picture, want that. Yeah, we want to be God's favorite, Yes, right? Yeah. There's something in us that says, yeah. oh, yeah. And it's true. God is for us no matter what. Yeah. Like, no matter what we do, God loves us yeah. and he's for us and he's trying to rescue us. But that doesn't mean that he's going to stand up for all the people the terrible things that we do. And when we cross into those lines where we're the oppressor, and that's the other part of this lesson, right? Um, in Psalm 82, it, it talks about how God feels t- towards those who are doing the oppressing and wh- how God responds. And this is, this is something that I think all of us need to be careful of. Psalm 82, it says, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. And gods here are in quote, because the lesson notes that it's not talking about um, ancient gods or true gods. It's people who put themselves in in place of God yeah. um, as it's giving judgment to others. Yeah. And, and, he, and then it asks the question, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? So it's asking those gods. Mm-hmm. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold yeah. the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the most high. So it's talking to people, right? Mm-hmm. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Mm-hmm. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth for all the inheritance. Are, all, all of the nations are your inheritance. So yeah. it bookends this, this psalm in the fact that God is the ultimate judge. Yeah. But we who sometimes sit in judgment of others or who have the a power or authority mm-hmm. to... Um, to do good or to do evil, and we choose to oppress those who, who don't have power yeah. and take advantage of our position, this is saying you're under judgment of the yeah. ultimate judge, yeah. God. Yeah. You can't claim to be above this mm. because this is... It, it's it's wild because God... This is an outflow of God. Justice and righteousness and goodness yeah. is an outflow of him. And he's like, if you try and claim that I that you are above that, mm-hmm. it's like you're trying to claim that you're above the creator. And you may not be thinking that way, but yeah. that's sort of like when you zoom out, that's what you're trying to do yeah. is say, I know how to do this better, yeah. at least for my benefit. And God's like, no, you will you will die like a mortal. Mm-hmm. You, you think that you are, to some degree, you almost are taking on this idea of like, I I can't be controlled. I am I am the ultimate decision-making authority in my life. And yeah. I was like, you're not, yeah. <laughs> you're just not. What I have, what I care about is far more um, true than mm-hmm. what you, what you're caring about. And when you align with what I care about, you will see the goodness in this world and you will do justice and mm-hmm. you will love mercy and you will walk humbly with me. 
But when you do the opposite, wow. it leads to all sorts of destruction, not just for others, but also for you. And I think that's, that's a bit terrifying. Yeah. But also it's good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, because in this world, we often think of the more power we have, the less accountability yeah. we need to keep. But what God is saying here is actually the more power you have, the more I'm going to hold you accountable yeah. for yeah. that power. And that is a scary, but it is a good thing, too, yeah. that God holds those who have power and authority yeah. accountable. Yes. And if 100%. if in any of our spaces, whether, you know, we have power over our children or power over um, influencing things in the church or out in, in the world as bosses, or it's, it's an important reminder that we should be using that power wisely mm -hmm. and justly the way yeah. that God would. Because we can create spaces that are unjust or unjust in ways that are so small and subtle. I think I like parenting. There's so many things that we can do over time that mm. seem like nothing. Yeah. But if I don't listen to my kids, if I haven't let them have like a say in, in their life and in the world and in, in how I treat them even at some point, if I don't let them do that, that is an injustice that will they'll carry with them for the rest of their life and might have to fight against and might bring into the world. Mm. So it's like the small injustice that I have done. And so wow. that's where it's like God is saying, I hold any of you who have power. And you can say, well, I don't have that much power. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that I do, I have way more power than I think I do. And then that's where God is also like, and I want you, I'm on your side. I want good things, but also there's an accountability and a, and a, and a care that I have for doing what is good because it won't just impact that individual. It will impact all the people that they, they interact with. We're all connected. I mean, that's why God cares about it so yes. much. It isn't just about me. It's about just this whole system of humanity that exists. And so I'm glad he cares about it. Yeah. <laughs> And he holds yeah. us accountable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Will you pray for us? Yeah, for sure. God, thank you so much for being God that you are. It is a little bit terrifying um, to be to be on the other end of of your power and your glory and your unyielding uh, commitment to goodness. Um, so often we are both the victim and the perpetrator of injustice in this world. And somehow you hold that all in, te in tension as well. So while we are a little bit terrified and scared of being on that other side of, of, of your justice and your goodness, we also are deeply held within your, your, your arms as a father holds a child and, uh, and loves them even in, in the mistakes and even in the getting it wrong. So just thank you for being a God that can hold all of that intention and can be as good as you are. Thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. So friends, remember, if you are struggling and you feel like you're being oppressed or dragged down by chains to shoal, remember that you have a powerfully just God who stands for you. And if you have power and you have authority, remember also that you have a powerfully just God who stands for everyone. Have a wonderful Sabbath. Mm -hmm.